Welcome to the House Church Podcast, where we talk about church as family. I'm Daniel Sams. And I'm Christy Sams, and this is the House Church Podcast. Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the House Church Podcast. I am Daniel Sams. And I'm Christy Sams. Yes. You know what? I was actually, when you said that, I thought you were going to say Christy Davis. For some reason, I'm like... You and my mom. It was weird. It was like you're, I was going to have you say your maiden name. That's I've been awesome. a Sams for 15 uh, years. 16 years. And right. I have had no trouble remembering. Yeah, I haven't either. 16. What year is it? It's 2020. We got married in... 16 in June. June will be 16. Yeah. Anyway, so we want to take some out. We have been like a year or more since we recorded. Um, And we decided we would jump back in. We recorded two two episodes of the House Church podcast like, wow, um, a while ago. And I, people listen to them. Apparently there's not a lot of House Church podcasts (laughs) out there. So people listen, they'll reach out to us. Um, and then, uh, some other people, Dale Partridge started a, a Christianity podcast that focuses a little bit on house church, but not exclusively. So we're like, man, we got to get back into house church podcasting. So, um, cause there's a lot of stuff that we want to share by God's grace. We are six years into house church and we we're still doing it. Yeah, we haven't um, run away yet. By God's grace, we came close to quitting a couple of times, but the Lord has been faithful. And um, as we're sitting in my office right now, I'm looking at, um, we're blessed to have eight house churches right now. We're about to plant maybe two more, and it's just really exciting. So we want to take some time and kind of reflect on um, house church, what's been going on. Each house, each episode, we want to have a different topic and hopefully be both practical and entertaining for people interested in house church. Any thoughts? Is this a good idea, Christy? <laughs> I mean, you've agreed to be on this podcast with me and you to spend your life with me. You think so. you're entertaining? No, I'm not entertaining, but oh, I you am? are entertaining. That's so funny. Yeah, it is. How entertaining. Very entertaining. In, in true house church fashion, we are doing this while our children are home. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and I think we were so concerned with it being so quiet and so, like, um, yeah, not no interruptions. And I've been listening to a lot of, like, popular podcasts, and they have, like, babies crying in the background. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes me laugh. Like, I don't yeah. think bad of it. So our kids are home, and... Yeah. They may or may not uh, interrupt, but that's just part of the deal because yeah. they're part of our life and yeah. we love them. Um, and also just as reflective of house church, it's we seek to do things decently and in order, but it is very seldom perfectly quiet and uh, It's easy. never perfectly quiet. Yeah, it's pretty much never perfectly quiet. That's probably the right way to say it. Um, so today, though, we have, we wanted to jump in and talk a little bit about doctrine um, especially as it relates to good doctrine versus bad doctrine in house churches uh, or in the church in general. Um, so maybe to set this up a little bit, um, I know in a lot of popular movements in the American church especially, uh, theology has not been held in high regard. Uh, people talk a lot about experience and having a really great worship experience, or they talk about uh, felt need series is what they would always call them, where you kind of preach on relationships, or you preach on money, or you preach on overcoming trials. Um, but the idea of teaching doctrine and just who God is and what uh, what he has taught us in his word, 
that doesn't get enough attention. And what we've noticed is that there has been this kind of a doctrinal drift that's happened in the American church. And so many times I hear people who have fallen away or just moved into nothingness in their faith. And I'll ask them questions about like, well, man, you know, what about this? And that they won't know it. Like there'll be base things that I consider to be basic or foundational that they just don't know. And it strikes me that we have, uh, we haven't done enough to teach doctrine. And so one of our values in house church is to teach biblical doctrine. And, um, so, uh, with that, um, we want to just kind of hear a little bit from you, Christy, you have just finished reading a book and you've been kind of focusing on this a little bit. Can you give me your thoughts? Cause I certainly have some as a pastor, as a professor, uh, some of your thoughts, um, maybe just from growing up in the church and then now as you've kind of engaged in some things related to, you know, doctrinal consistency, um, what's been on your mind maybe bring up this book that you just read it's so funny talking to you like this I know like, it is. it's all like yeah. professional like I'm interviewing you yeah. interview we'll, we'll, fi- we'll fix that we'll go the other way with that very soon well I wasn't complaining oh okay that was right. funny it's like formal and it makes me nervous <clears throat> I never make you nervous and so I'm glad to know I've made you nervous because <laughs> usually you make me nervous <laughs> that's TMI Okay, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Anyways, no, I read this book um, called You Who. Not You Who, but You Who with a question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, by you Rachel. You Who again? You Who. <laughs> um, Rachel Jankovic, I think is how you say her name. I apologize if I'm not saying that right. But I found her. I don't even know how I found her. I, some video that she posted, but she, I don't, and I know she's a writer. She's written a number of books, and I know that she is involved in a lot of women's ministry and she was blogging and that she has a lot of kids. And I think what she's about is really, um, well, they, they have a Bible reading challenge that they really talk about all the time. And I could talk about a lot of things actually, but Mm -hmm. that's probably her. She talks about how, um, she wants people to stop, um, trying to basically eat the crumbs under the table of other people's time with the Lord. So, like, from teachers, like, that we we so much need teachers and what they're studying. Mm-hmm. And why aren't we just, like, sitting at the table at the feast and actually feasting on God's word together? Like, you're invited mm-hmm. to the table. You're not required to, like, get the leftovers from somebody else's experience with God. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. But, um, but anyways, back to this book. Um, she just is, I think, the you who, like... Like, I think the subtitle is You Matter and Why That's Important. Um, but um, I'm going to zoom my turn. So um, what you were telling me about the book is that she gets into the various uh, philosophers and uh, and thinkers that have really shaped our culture and how much that language, that thinking has <laughs> influenced how people think about themselves, even subtly, even if you've never heard of those various authors. Well, that, that it seeped into our culture and yeah. especially the church. Yeah. And so thank you for getting me back no on track. Problem. You listened That's really why. well That's to my, here, my review of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she gets into some stuff that I'm like, whoa, this is like philosophy and stuff that I never, I mean, I've heard of, but I don't know a lot about. But um, so calling it out in our culture. And so one of the funny things she does on her Instagram is she finds like, memes and different like motivational quotes and stuff and she edits them and (laughs) I think she puts like pants on fire like the little pants emoji and then fire like liar liar like this is a lie basically and then she 
like says why and mm-hmm. um corrects the theology behind it and it's funny and it but it's like now i'm i feel like i'm doing the same thing like yeah. when i go to stores and you're starting to notice stuff yeah and i posted something about heretical valentines <laughs> yeah Tell, tell about that, because <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So our girls, we have, actually our son too, we Frozen, the first Frozen movie came out when our two kids were like two and three or something. And so we've been, you know, overrun with Frozen our whole lives. Well, then Frozen 2 just came out and our youngest daughter is almost four and she's just enthralled with this movie, mm-hmm. even though I'm not thrilled with all of the themes in it, but it's a movie, whatever. But a lot of the merchandise and stuff coming out is um, follow your destiny or find your destiny awaits and live your truth. And um, I forget the other one. But so anyways, we were sending Valentine's. Oh, believe in the journey. We were uh, getting everybody's Valentine's ready for Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow. And I was rushing yesterday morning, and I just don't believe in giving. One of my biggest pet peeves is giving a card that says something that you don't actually mean. And so, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, like, I will not say things. Or T-shirts. Like, I won't wear shirts that say something that I'm like, first of all, is embarrassing or bad. Um, but it can't be right. And so there's a lot of cute frozen clothes that I wanted to buy the girls, and I won't because I can't. Yeah. I don't like the saying. Yeah. So anyways, one of them said, believe in the journey. And one said, live your truth. And I was just saying, like, I actually asked Hannah, who is nine now, like, what, what do we think about this phrase? Like, should we believe in the journey? And she's like, no. And I was like, because what if your journey drops you in a pothole? Like, man, that mm-hmm. stinks. And then um, live your truth. Like. It's, like, if your truth, I just was joking and said, like, what if your truth says you're worthless? Like, should you live that? (laughs) Mm. And so we talked about how, like, we should trust and live and believe in things that are unchanging. And so I'm using a joke, but um, I don't like promoting those empty phrases. Well, and this is part of why this is so important to me in the realm of theology, especially as it relates to what we sing in worship. Um, there's so many things that at the popular level uh, are are coming across that maybe something like live your truth. Um, I look at that and I've got big questions from a theological perspective, philosophical perspective, and I've got big problems with that. Uh, Yet most people are kind of like, oh yeah, it's whatever, it's just a phrase, it sounds nice, it sounds motivational. And what happens both in uh, popular culture and in church culture is there's these movements of thought that most people at the lay level have never heard about, but they're absolutely influencing those things. And so um, I, I used to talk about, and um, well, actually we teach about this in underground seminary, the various modern and postmodern thinkers and how they have influenced thought in contemporary culture. And I would talk about like Friedrich Schleiermacher, who is considered the father of classical liberalism in uh, Christianity. Um, and liberalism is bad. It's, you know, it's denying truth about scripture. But Schleiermacher had this whole view that like you just feel things. There's more to it than this, but that then you reflect on that feeling and that's how you figure out things about God. And it's a mess. It's why we have so much false doctrine in the church. Most people have never heard the name Friedrich Schleiermacher. Um, and yet, his thought is influencing so much, even in a lot of contemporary evangelical churches, 
where emotion and re- what, what we would call religious feeling, or what Schleiermacher would call rigid, religious feeling, is actually driving decision-making in how people define their theology. And so when a song is sung, I think we were talking about um, Reckless Love, which I know is, is a horse that has been beat to death. But, you know, this idea when people will talk about like, oh, well, I get this, you know, it just feels like God is so reckless and wild abandoned in his love for me. And I'm like, well, I understand how you might feel that, but that's not what God's word says. You know, one of the, some of the, one of the doctrines about Christ is that he is perfect in his wisdom. God is never reckless. He has perfect wisdom. Um, he's what his love is strong and powerful. There's all kinds of things we can say about his love. But in, when we start kind of assuming these things because of how we feel, we read that and then we teach that through singing and even through sermons, unfortunately, we lead people into error. And then we promote, if I'm going to, you know, one of the things we say is you become like that which you worship. So if I think God's love is reckless and he does, and he's just wild abandoned and is not considering his order, um, well then I think I can do that. And so imagine how a person falls and they fall in and out of love and make foolish, rash decisions in the name of loving like God loves when Mm -hmm. it's like, well, no, first of all, that's not how God loves. Second, you are being foolish. And, um, that's the kind of thing that is leading to error. Well, and God doesn't abandon his other attributes to love. Yeah. And so they were taught that song talks about, um, the prodigal son and it like he, or the good shepherd that leaves the 99, like I'm pretty sure the shepherd left like, like that parable is him leaving, knowing that the sheep were going to be okay. Like he didn't, do something reckless yeah. to leave the sheep. Like he, he is wise. He is just, and all of his attributes are intact when yeah. he loves and love is complete when yeah. it's God. Like it, he doesn't have to be reckless. Yeah. He, and anyway, like, yeah, I know that's old. I was an old podcast. I listened to the Sheologian podcast, which I highly recommend by the way. Um, talked about that, but I wanted to say too, like going back to the whole live your truth, that phrase has become a lot more popular amongst like the me too stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to just speak to that because, so I'm a clinical counselor. So I do a lot of therapy, especially with, um, lots of survivors of abuse. And, um, that's a theme in a lot of the work that I do. Um, and so I pay attention to a lot of that stuff in our culture as well. And I don't think it's like, I don't want to shame someone. Cause I think, I think what they're trying to say with live your truth is that your perspective of the truth is true. Hmm. So like in an abuse situation, if someone is like, if the abuser is saying, well, that's not what it was or like when in sexual harassment type stuff, like, well, I was, you know, I, whatever I was, it's a classic thing for a manipulator in abuse to say, Oh, that's not how I meant that. Right. As if like, you just took that the wrong way when I said this. Right. And that's a major theme and that is not okay. Um, although at times there are people who like, they didn't mean something in a certain way and someone else took it a certain Mm -hmm. way. And so when they say like, live your truth, it's saying like your, perspective is true and I think I think we have to I mean one of the things I go back to is like 
I God has full perspective. Like he knows mm-hmm. the thoughts and intents of every person involved involves heart like and so it's still better to say live the truth yes right because god's truth is perfect and it encompasses both that person's perspective and yours i think i all i just want to say like i understand that phrase and why people like really grasp onto that they're like my truth i still think it's a it's a bad phrase well because it would be better to say just the truth right you know if if someone is trying to twist the truth, I want to say, no, That's I am truth. on the side of objective truth. Right. Which, again, this gets back to um, this gets back to philosophical and theological realities. Um, the the idea of objectivism in knowledge, and what we call epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. Objectivism is the idea that I'm focused on the object of truth that I'm studying it. I'm no, I'm the subject studying the object. And for a long time, and actually, biblical orthodoxy, we say God is the the object we're studying. He is self-revealing. He reveals himself, and we study him. And that's how we know who he is, because we study him as he reveals himself. Subjectivism is the idea that, like, me as the knowing center is what's most important. So how I think about it, how I feel about it, is more important than the object of truth itself. And so when we get into, this is, I'm not going to get into too high of weeds, but this is out of uh, the mechanistic view of the universe that Isaac Newton came about, (laughs) Um, really ruled out knowledge because it was seen as kind of a machine. And so you had all of these philosophers after him, especially Immanuel Kant, trying to give an understanding for how can we know anything? Because if God's interaction was ruled out by that view of the universe, uh, then how do we know anything? And so Immanuel Kant comes along and says, well, we're going to know things by reason. Um, various other things, like we're going to know things through um, empiricism or whatever. And it would go on and on and on. We came to Schleiermacher, who's like, we're going to know things through feeling. And all of these things, though, are focused on me as the knowing subject. Um, even Rene Descartes' comment, like, well, I think, therefore I am is intentionally or not putting oneself at the center of knowledge rather than objective truth at the center of knowledge. That flip, or that switch being flipped, which I would argue has been rooted in sinful humanity since the fall, but once that, once that focus is on the self rather than the object of truth, all objectivity is gone, and this is why we have somebody who says, well, I think it's this, and I think it's this, and they're mutually exclusive, and yet we're supposed to somehow honor both views. And it's leading to all kinds of mess in our culture and in the church. Um, so then in that kind of a culture, in a subjectivist culture, then the worst thing you can do is say someone is wrong. And so we know this is happening in the secular world, but we're also seeing it in the Christian world. When I point to scripture and say, no, this is what the word of God says. And then they say, well, that's just, that's just how you read it. I'm like, no, for the last 2000 years, we've universally agreed that this is what this verse meant. And people say, no, 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 I, I have my perspective. You need to hear my perspective. Or then other perspectives are considered equally valid. And it's like, no, 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 there is objective truth. And that's what matters. And, um, yeah. So all this coming back to why we need to teach good doctrine. Um, well, I was going to say yeah. why. So is, is this done in like the larger church? Do we see this happening in most of our churches? 
I, I would say that in, in the Western church, which is where I have my experience, I see it most churches, even in, even no, maybe I'm saying even, theology being taught or doctrine no, being taught. I'm afraid, um, well, there's doctrine being taught, but maybe not biblical doctrine. Anything we teach, I mean, doctrine means teaching. Right. And so when we're teaching something, we're, we're teaching something from a perspective. It's are we teaching biblical doctrine, what we would call historically orthodox doctrine, biblical doctrine. Um, and unfortunately, most churches, especially in the West, have moved towards a more attractional model where the thinking is, I'll, I'll say things to try to get people here and maybe even say true things. You know, like uh, you can do a relationship series in a church and say things that are true. But the focus is on, hey, everybody has relationships. Wouldn't you like to learn more about relationships? Come here. We'll teach you about relationships. Yeah. Notice that the focus is not on who God is there or what he has done. Um, similarly, you know, you might do a series on, well, the classic thing is to take, like, the Old Testament stories, old, which are true, by the way. I don't, like, I think we've misunderstood the word story, but accounts. Old Testament accounts and said, all right, cool, how can I put myself in here as the hero? And the classic one is the whole David and Goliath thing where you're like, kill your giants, slay your giants. And it's like, no, no, that's not what that, pat, that, what that, that account is about. It's, I'm not supposed to read myself in there and pretend I'm David. And um, I'm supposed to look at that and say, like, God sends a rescuer to, to slay our enemies. And um, ultimately, this is all about, supposed to be about the gospel. And so what, what happens is sometimes good intention, intention pastors will teach something that may be true, although their exegesis might not be very good. But the focus is so much on teaching something that seems like it's going to help you in your day-to-day. -day. It's like a how-to or it's like a self-help rather than, hey, we came here to worship the living God. And this is who he is, and this is what he has done, and so let's worship him as a result. Well, and we're not supposed to help ourselves. Yes, like, exactly. Even the concept even of self-help yeah. is not like we're supposed yeah. to get help from God. Yeah, we're, we're supposed. <laughs> the whole message, and how interesting. This is comes back to doctrine. A lot of times when I talk about teaching doctrine, we do so systematically, and we look at the whole council of scripture. On the whole council of scripture, there's this theme of man can't make it on his own. We need a redeemer. We need a rescuer. And that's systematic. I mean, we can look at this at scripture. It or, it's organized together. And um, that's what's happened. Hopefully when we're teaching doctrine, we're, we're maybe going verse by verse through scripture. But we're tying together this overarching understanding of the gospel. Do you think pastors get afraid of teaching the same thing over and over again? Like if they're... Because every, if every story or every account in scripture is pointing back to the gospel and pointing back to our need for a redeemer, do you think, I think in an attractional church, they're always trying to keep it like spicy. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I remember like they were trying to find current movie clips to go along I with their sermon. I was part of that. I remember and doing And we've got to sing the best worship songs that are coming out, which by the way, Reckless Love won a Dove Award. Like they're winning all these major awards and they're bad theology. Well, here It gets and worse because like, like it's Bethel and Hillsong and other churches that are heretical Right. That are the are the major music publishers. But the but point is, like, that enough. might be a topic for another podcast. That should but, be, yeah. Because <laughs> we, we probably made forever. some people mad. Yeah. But, like, I, th I wonder sometimes, because there is this whole, like, we've got to fill the pews. We've got to keep the numbers up. We've got to, yep. you know, quote, unquote, reach as many people. 
And so I, I think I feel the tension there of like, if we just always talk about the gospel, cause I feel that in my office when people are coming in and they're like, I just don't understand. Like my, the problems aren't going away. And I'm like, well, that's because your theology's bad. Yeah. And I don't quite say it like that, but, <laughs> um, and these are with people who want to talk about this, but, um, you know, like our problems aren't going to go away in this fallen world. And so that's why you have to depend on Christ all the time, right? Every day. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your self-help is help yourself by looking and depending on the Lord. Yeah. And I wonder if, like, pastors just, it feels oversimplified. And well, so I, I know that... It's not that, an excuse. But, but even that comes back to the mentality, though, is thinking that it's my job to get people to stay here. Yes, true. When And when the mentality should be, my job is to proclaim the gospel uh, in, from the whole council of Scripture... And that, that the hearers either accept or reject. And here's what's interesting to me. Um, I love the gospel. I know that I'm a wretched sinner that God has redeemed. And every day I celebrate that. Every day we, we, we share it with our children. I'm talking to lost people. We're, we share it with our church. And I can't get enough of it. And this wonderful infinite God who has revealed himself in his word. There's so much there and it all ties to the overarching narrative of the gospel. But man, it's fresh and exciting. The more you study, the more you see how it doesn't just fit together. It is together. It's God's one narrative that he's, or one uh, redemption narrative of revelation that he's brought to us. And so it's exciting. And so my thing that concerns me is if a pastor doesn't love the gospel so much that he he's desperate to t- talk about it every week, then I'm like, well, man, do you do you believe the gospel? Like, have you been redeemed? And I'm in conversations with pastors. I was I was in a, a, a cohort meeting with a group of pastors who are went through this training for multiplying. The training was awful. Like they, there was hardly any focus on scripture. And um, I always point out, by God's grace, our church is growing. People are getting saved. And when they ask me about what we're doing, I'm like, well, we just teach the word of the living God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We just, we just teach scripture, man. And they're like, no, but really, what do you do? And I'm like, that's really <laughs> it. Like, like I, our, my are sermons <laughs> are not polished. My, like, like we just teach the word of God and like the, the elect respond and the others, re, you know, run away. You're just dropping all kinds of stuff to get I know, people mad. I'm not trying to, you know. <laughs> um, so then I think about that and I'm like, man, oh, this is what I was going to say about that. I'm in this room with all these guys. There's probably 20 some pastors. And the whole thing is like, well, pastor, we need to, we need, we need to make disciples. We need to make disciples. And I'm in there like, yeah, that's what you got to do. And I remember guys saying, if I preach scripture clearly and I focus my time on making disciples, my church will shrink and how will I pay my bills? I'm talking universally. That's the thing that comes up. Enter house church. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is part of why we do house church because then we don't have to pay for a building. And by the way, I'm bivocational. Um, Tri-vocational, whatever. Quadrocational. (laughs) Depends on how you count, but I'll do whatever we need to to make money within, you know, God's word, God's truth. Um, So, so the um, we have an accountant. It's all legal. It is. Um, (laughs) So, the uh, that's just 
that's I um, I think the honest thing for me is that I get frustrated when I'm like, do you not love the the Word of God enough to to sacrifice your well being? Do you not trust God enough to provide for you that you would teach the gospel and make disciples? And there's that's a really really hard thing. It is because it really we is. were it was there hard for us. We were and there. We we were really really scared. Yeah. And I would have said the whole time that I trusted God. And you did too. Yeah. Yeah. But we at a t- there was a time where we said, I don't want to be vocational. Like, we don't yeah. believe that pastors are called to be vocational. Like, yeah. we believe that the church should take care of them. And, like, so, I mean, God changes hearts. And it's a, it can be, I think there's a process there. And so I think mm-hmm. we don't want to come across as being, like, harsh. Like, well, then you mm-hmm. must not love God. Like, we believe that people are genuinely yeah. wrestling through this. I do. And I think we just want to encourage them that, like, your love and dependence on yeah. God is enough. Like it, yeah. and and watch God make that come to fruition. And it didn't come right away. For like, well, actually, we were pretty desperate at that point. We were pretty desperate. Um, but I mean, I had a job already that is, you know, that we mm-hmm. could depend on. Like there were other factors, but that would. But even that, like that's God's provision. God knew when I was knit together in my mother's womb that this was where I would end up. And so I don't, none of that was an accident, even yeah. though it feels like it just kind of all fell together. God ordained every step. And mm-hmm. so I think believing that God is doing that for yeah. you, if you are one of those people trying to navigate this, people are walking out of their big mega churches all the time mm-hmm. and wanting to do this. Like yeah. you get calls constantly from all over the country. Yeah. People wanting, like, tell us what you're doing. And we're just doing what Acts told us to do. Yeah. Like what we're trying to obey the commands that God has given his church. We, we are looking at book of Acts as a lens to how a lot of them applied it. Um, yeah. And then all that comes back. I know the theme today is we're talking about doctrine. Uh, one of the things that I hear pastors say often is they're like, well, but you know, my people are living in the real world. They need practical things to deal with their practical problems. Why would I teach about like the, the aseity of God or the whatever? And I think what people fail to recognize is that it always comes back to who God is. And I wonder if it comes back to the gospel, but ultimately even the gospel is about God's glory. And um, so one of the things I've noticed is how calming it is you know like when we sing a mighty fortress is our god which is not scripture but it's directly related to scripture and i'm remembering who god is that's where i'm comforted you know we think of uh job when he's you know in his time of of doubt and struggle god doesn't show up and explain everything he just asks job rhetorical questions to remind him who god is um, well i guess i i would say too like well okay what kind of practical stuff are your people dealing with? Yeah. Like really? And do you really believe that your wisdom is so far beyond that, which God has already given? Yeah. Like I'm a psych person, right? I'm in the field and mm-hmm. I get magazines every month from these, like the leading people that are training our field and it's all old news yeah. or it's, it's yeah. not of God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, take every thought captive like that's pretty much cognitive behavioral therapy like in our world today like god already told us to do these things Mm -hmm. you don't have any new stuff that's packaged differently and i'm not saying that there Mm -hmm. aren't good tools out there that are biblically sound but why are we doing that in the church like anybody can do that like why we are called to come together and be in the word 
And if you believe that, it's if you believe that you have something else, then you've not really been in the word. Because yeah. the word addresses everything. Yeah. It really does. Well, this gets back to I know we're kind of just talking around this topic a little bit, but um, this gets back to when someone does not trust that God has given us everything we need in Scripture. You know, um, in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, the language is that, you know, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given to us that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This language of full maturity from Scripture. So when somebody says... Uh, and actually, one of the heretical books that we've been I've been having to address is uh, Physics of Heaven, written by some of the people at Bethel Church. And one of the things they talk about is they're like, we wanted to see if there was any other truth in the New Age movement that maybe we didn't have in Christianity. And I'm like, well, first of all, like you're 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 saying by saying that you're saying that God's word is not sufficient. That you don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which, by the way, we teach on the sufficiency of Scripture in an underground seminary bibliology oh, class. Um, and all of these, like, attributes of God, by the way, we've been doing a series in the church on the attributes of God and how they go together. Um, and we also have an underground seminary course on Doctrine of God that covers those. Anyway. And where can we find more information about underground, underground seminary? Undergroundseminary.net, baby. Ding, ding, ding. Um, so uh, all that said, I think it is worth considering that... Um, that when we're teaching those kinds of things, when, when we're really just kind of communicating the truth of God and who he is, we trust that God's word is enough. We don't need to look outside. When we try to look outside of things, it tends to lead to error. Um, or we say things that seem right in a song or in a sermon that aren't necessarily right. Um, and here's what, here's what I tell people. I grew up in the church so I, some things I take for, you know, it feels like I can take for granted. Like I've known all the accounts of scripture and all, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not an intellectual. And if you can hear how I talk, I, sometimes I don't say things right. And I don't know all the words that Daniel uses. And I'm not a mm -hmm. theologian. But I've been reading the Bible for a really long time. And there was a point not that long ago where I prayed and asked the Lord, would you reveal your word to me in a way that I understand? Like I want, like, I want you to reveal it to me, Christy in her not well-read, not philosophical brain, very practical, very, like, detailed person. And I'm telling you, it came alive, and it continues to come alive. And, like, Jesus talks about, let the children come to me. Like, our children understand these concepts. So there's no excuse for people to not be able to read the word. I also know that it can feel intimidating. A lot of times listening to people like you, like you use the words, I don't even know where to start with some of that stuff, right? And I would say, I, I, first of all, I think we need you and your big words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. But maybe I represent the people who don't understand big words. Maybe that will be part of like my I think I think that's going to be our vibe. It's going to be good. Um, um, but... Yeah. And, and I think I just want to encourage, like, and what I tell my clients, what I tell the people that I work with is just start, like take the chance, get yourself a study Bible. This is our cat who wanted to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, get yourself a study Bible. We both have the ESV study Bible. I call mm -hmm. it my grown up Bible. Cause I used to read the new living translation, which is a paraphrase and it's okay, but I don't think it's the best. Yeah. Um, now you have a real Bible. I, <laughs> um, and I'm, we're not knocking if you read the NLT, I would challenge you to try a translation. We can talk about that later. Anyways, 
um, that has notes because when you have a question, you look down and you're like, oh my gosh, they answered my question. Mm-hmm, it helps. And they have like, in the beginning mm-hmm. of the book, they tell you when it was written, why it was written, who they think wrote it. Mm-hmm. Like they give you a lot of this theology and it's not, it doesn't take you a ton of time. I also want to talk about the Bible reading challenge. Um, I don't know that I have the website, but there's an app called, um, uh-oh, it's called Christ Kirk. And I don't know why, K-I-R-K, but it's a church out in Idaho that put this together and they have a reading challenge. If you download the app and you go down to, it's called Keep the Feast is one of the things on the app. And it's their Bible reading challenge. The reason I like it, I know there's a million reading plans, but mm-hmm. this one is cool because first of all, you're reading with a t- like people all around the world. But anyway, um, they try to combine like the Old Testament with the New Testament when it correlates. So, like, they actually say if you don't read the Old Testament, then you don't really understand what the New Testament is all about. And so when Jesus is mentioning prophets or people are bringing up things, it it pairs those sections with the Old Testament, like, the mm-hmm. Old Testament prophets are, and then you're also throwing Psalms and Proverbs in there. They actually pair up the Psalms accounts with Second Samuel when David was actually writing them. And, um, and so far it's been really cool. Yeah. Um, like I read Esther and they paired it up with, I forget what other passage where it talks about the feast of Purim and like where it came from. And I'm like, that's so cool. So I highly recommend that reading plan and yeah. it's super easy. Yeah. So. I have a couple of other things. One, obviously, I know I'm plugging Underground Seminary, um, which I think is great. But the other thing is just reading scripture itself does a lot. And unfortunately, not everybody knows how things fit together. So, and, and one of the things that's worth noting is that the Bible is organized not chronologically fully, but by genre. And so you can go on Pinterest and pull up one of the, like, charts of Bible books by genre and it helps and you're like okay well Psalms is not a history it's a book of songs Um, and you're like okay this is wisdom literature Proverbs takes us through like wise sayings kind of in a poetic way Whereas, you know, Chronicles is just that. It's chronicling things. Well, and I think the Old Testament, a lot of people give it a bad rap because God, you see his wrath. And if you don't understand the story of the Old Testament and God's relationship to his people, you don't understand how much grace and mercy he had for them and why we need his wrath. Well, and by the way, wrath in the New Testament, also pretty powerful theme. Um, so a couple of things I would recommend doing something like that. Just get reading, um, maybe get one of those genre, um, you know, just, I mean, you can get on Pinterest for free. It's a chart of genres of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll probably put one on the website also. Um, another thing is get a good catechism, like new city catechism. The app is free. Um, and it just takes you through question and answer that teaches you doctrine. It's based on Westminster Catechism, which I think has sprinkling babies in it, which isn't my favorite thing. I don't agree with that. But most of that one is really good. We would call that a secondary... We would call it a secondary thing. Um, another great valuable thing to do would be to get a, a theology, like a Millard Erickson book of theology and read it. Um, I know it seems like way over the No, over I the think top, for but... people who are there, then that's great. Yeah. I think people who are like overwhelmed... just read like start in Matthew or start in John like go to the gospels and then start asking questions and pray first I think praying that God will reveal because he the word is active and living and powerful and he will use it I was going to share that verse yeah that's the thing that I think we sometimes forget is that 
It really is living and active. It does. I don't work. need to make it more interesting. I read God's word and I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, don't take other people's word for it. You no. need it. Yeah. So, so. Um, we mentioned that, um, and obviously uh, in Underground Seminary, we actually have a little intro to theology class that's helpful. Um, all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk more a little bit on doctrine. We just kind of wanted to give an introduction to why it's important, what's going on here, um, and we will see you or hear you or you will hear us next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the House Church Podcast. For more information, visit undergroundseminary.net.